In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. This is an exclusive audio presentation of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. And today we are joined by AJC political insider columnist Patricia Murphy to talk about another very busy week in Georgia political news. Patricia, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. You are joining us from down in Brunswick, your latest stop on your tour of Georgia, which we'll talk about later in the show. But let's start off with some pandemic news because Governor Kemp held a major press conference on Monday to talk about his continuing approach to COVID. Georgia's coronavirus situation is getting worse and worse. We're at record levels of hospitalizations and average case rates. Hospitals are swamped. Intensive care units are being 95% occupied mostly by coronavirus patients. In some hospital districts, uh, they're turning away patients. They're, they're treating patients in hallways. It's real tough. Let's hear what Governor Kemp had to say about it. I mean, the numbers do not lie. 95% of the people in the hospital with COVID have not been vaccinated. And I would urge you to do that. That is what we need to unite and focus on instead of having you know, different mandates. And speaking of those mandates. It's just causing division. It's causing people's blood pressure to go up. We need to continue to educate and advocate for people getting the vaccine. And look, at the end of the day, there's going to be people that don't want to do that. And this is America. And this is Georgia. And you can do that. But the fact is, you're going to remain at risk of being in the hospital with COVID-19. You know, Patricia, this is the tension that the governor faces because on one hand, he's encouraging folks to go get vaccinated. On the other hand, he is strictly against any sort of vaccine requirements from the government, any sort of mask requirements from from the government. Um, local local school districts, local governments are, are stepping in that void in some cases and others they're not to require um, some sort of restrictions, but he's taking a, a very um, hands-off approach when it comes to masks and vaccines. 
Yeah, it seems to be a really clear tension within the governor and the governor's office between the requirements of governing and the need to pay attention to politics and get reelected in a Republican primary, especially for Kemp. And I, you said that I'm down here in Brunswick. I came down to write about climate change, but I have to tell you the crisis of COVID is so overwhelming. And I talked to Republican commissioners down here who said, look, I'm with the Democrats. This is not about politics. They have a mobile morgue in their hospital because so many people have died. So um, the governor is is really having to toe this line. And you can see how difficult it is. It creates a lot of mixed messages, I think. And it is, I do also think, uh, putting the state in a precarious position. There are people who simply must get vaccinated. And there's not a single voice in the saying in the state saying simply that, just get vaccinated. Yeah, we're we're in this... um you're right. He's in this kind of unique tension right now because he's not going as far as some governors like in Florida or Texas trying to ban mask mask requirements, trying to block schools from from requiring students to wear masks, that kind of thing. But at the same time, he is not taking any sort of um, aggressive step towards requiring masks. He's not wearing masks in public himself. He's not, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he signed an executive order that bans um, vaccine passports, which are basically requirements for for, for public employees to get to, va- to get vaccinated, uh, and his critics, a, they want him to do you know take take those steps. But short of that, they're saying he can do a lot more, um, even if he doesn't go as far as as any sort of mandate. They say that he can offer more incentives um, for people to get vaccinated. They say that he can lead by example and go on another sort of vaccination tour like he did last year with masks where he, he said, Hey, you won't have a football season if you don't start wearing masks. So they want to see him do, uh, more. And it's not just Democrats, it's public health experts. And as you mentioned, in some cases, it's fellow Republicans. Yeah. And there really is, um, I would say, a large chunk of the Republican electorate, though, who may not even listen to Governor Kemp. I think at this point, honestly, I really do think Donald Trump needs to get in and start really messaging on on uh, vaccine hesitancy. Um, he did it a teeny bit at a recent rally and actually got booed at it. Um, so that's just the political piece of it. I think also on the governance piece, I've spoken with mayors who have enacted mask mandates in their own city, but the governor signed an executive order telling private businesses that they don't have to abide by that mask requirement if they don't want to. So even local local governance, local mayors who want to do something are feeling slightly impeded by the governor and their own efforts to do that. And um, there's a very good chance that uh, people wouldn't want to do it anyway. There is a group of people who don't trust the government don't want government mandates, but that still leaves the governor leading a state in a really pure crisis mode right now. Yeah, and and you're right. And we reported uh, over the last week on a a worrying trend um, that that state health officials outlined, which were these anti-vaxxers. You know, it's one thing to oppose vaccines. It's one thing to be hesitant about getting a vaccine. Um, But it's another thing to be actively blocking public health officials from administering those vaccines. And and we heard Dr. Kathleen Toomey talk uh, at the press conference about uh, multiple incidents where anti-vaxxers either harassed, intimidated, name-called, um, basically uh, tried to obstruct and disrupt vaccination drives. And one of them in a North Georgia county that she wouldn't name actually got shut down. So that's where you see it going, the vaccine hesitancy movement, crossing that line into 
uh, obstruction. This is wrong. These people are giving their lives to help others and to help us in the state. We in Georgia can do better. We should be thanking these individuals who are trying to get life-saving vaccines to our state. Yeah, and we even saw a letter from Governor Kemp yesterday to the sheriffs around the state to say, please keep an eye out for these kinds of um, disturbances or even assaults against public health workers. And in his letter, he said, these are just public health officials doing their jobs and trying to safeguard the lives of their fellow Georgians. So it was a real vote of confidence in those public health workers from the governor and asking law enforcement to step in if necessary. But it's just kind of crazy that it's gotten to this point. And I think there is a conversation that there's a choice to be made between um, uh, businesses and strict measures against the coronavirus. And again, down here in Brunswick, a number of businesses are having to close because they don't have the staff to staff their restaurants and businesses because they've got the coronavirus. So it hurts businesses just as much as it uh, it seems like it might help them not to have restrictions. In some cases, COVID itself is shutting those businesses down. Yeah, especially in tourism-centric areas like where you are. Now, um, we mentioned earlier how the governor's not taking those aggressive stances that that some of his critics want him to take. He is taking more limited measures, um, including today. We're, we're, we're taping this today on a Friday, right before Labor Day. Um, he all public health empl- uh, sorry all state employees or most state employees. We're, we're given a day off, sort of an impromptu state holiday, um, to encourage them to go get vaccinated. There's now a health care benefit for people on the state health benefit plan. Um, that's a lot of that's hundreds of thousands of state employees and retirees um, to get uh, at least $150 in benefits if they're vaccinated. Um, and we heard him say that he is going to deploy as many as 2,500. Georgia National Guard troops to hard-hit hospitals. I asked him what those troops would do. Here's what he said. It's a real morale booster to let the people in the hospital know that are literally working 18-hour shifts, that they appreciate that people are listening, that they know how hard it is there right now. Uh, so I think it's been a morale boost to those healthcare heroes as well. So that's how dire the situation is. It takes uh, thousands of soldiers to go in. And in some cases, you know, there's about 180 who are medically trained who will be doing medical duties. But most of these troops will be doing more menial tasks, basically freeing up nurses so that nurses and other hospital staff can do the hard health care work that they're trained to do and that National Guard troops will direct traffic. They'll help clean up. They'll man the parking lots. You name it. Uh, they'll they'll be doing it. Yeah, he's, I think, doing a lot of things from the side and um also, even not quite in the background, but when we talk about state employees having a day off to go get vaccinated and having incentives, you know, there is still no mandate for state employees to get vaccinated. Even as we're seeing a number of businesses, including Delta, um, say you must get vaccinated in order to come to work. And that becomes really just a question of public health um, and a question for these companies of, of a risk of really high health care costs if their employees who are not vaccinated then end up in the hospital. And we and we know that the people in the hospital, uh, 90% are unvaccinated and um, many of them are dying. It's, it's not just about being hospitalized, it's about dying as well, um, unfortunately for uh, adults as well as children. And before I switch gears, we do want to note too that the AJC took a very, um, very attention-worthy stand uh, with an above-the-flag editorial saying, 
get vaccinated, save lives. So that was that was that was quite the stand. Me and you, I know we didn't have anything to do with it. It was our it was our top editors, but it sent a signal around the nation uh, and really, I think, beyond about the role that 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 we in the media can have to encourage folks to go do the right thing and get vaccinated. Yeah, it's such a simple message, but it's just one we don't hear a lot in Georgia, get vaccinated, save lives. It's it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and I think the editors really felt the need to be the ones to say it um, because it's not being said consistently right now um, at the highest levels. So let's switch gears now to the Senate race. Last week, we had the big news that Herschel Walker, the former football great from UGA, jumped in the race. We all thought it was coming. It finally came. Um, just Thursday night, he got Donald Trump's endorsement. That was no surprise whatsoever because Donald Trump, of course, was the one who was egging him on, encouraging him to jump in this race, saying he'd be unstoppable. Now he's in and Donald Trump has his back. But what I'm fascinated by is that the other three candidates – haven't really changed their messaging quite yet. Uh, they're staying in the race, of course, um, and they're kind of recalibrating, but you haven't seen a strident, you haven't seen a very aggressive change of tone. And I was up with Gary Black, the, the agriculture commissioner, up in his backyard, literally his backyard at his farmhouse up in Commerce, Georgia, where he's trying to show that the state's most important GOP stronghold has his back. He had a string of endorsements and that's and, and it was opened by Public Service Commissioner Bubba McDonald, who gave a rousing rendition of God Bless the USA. Let's take a let's take a listen. <laughs> and I'm proud to be American, I just want to say as the producer of this uh, here podcast real quick that uh, that's going to be a strong contender for soundbite of the year when we get around to that show. <laughs> that is Bubba McDonald, the Public Service Commissioner of Georgia, who, by the way, was the was the third name on that ballot in January's runoff. He narrowly uh, beat a Democrat in the lesser watched of the two of, the, of that runoff in January when the two U.S. Senate Democrats swept the uh, the runoff and flipped control of the of the Senate. Um, but Bubba likes to sing at these events, and that was his "God Bless the USA." Tri- Patricia, are you are you inspired? Uh, that was rousing doesn't even come close to what that was mcdonald's has a voice on him i'm impressed he does i was on a campaign bus with him back in the in 2014 uh when governor deal was running for re-election and he sang at pretty much every event so i've heard him plenty he's got that booming i don't know baritone or bass i don't know what it is but whatever it is it's a lot deeper than i go um so he endorsed gary black but he wasn't the only one um the biggest name of, of the crowd that endorsed him. And this, by the way, was not expected. I mean, I was up there um, not because I, I thought this was coming, but uh, former Congressman Doug Collins, who ran for U.S. Senate last year, uh, was defeated in the – was the third-place finisher in the wide-open free-for-all special election. Uh, they had a bitter rivalry with Kelly Leffler, a very avid Trump supporter, and he's essentially going against Donald Trump – 
by endorsing Gary Black. He said that Gary Black was one of his main allies, was a longtime friend of his, and that he doesn't care who else is in the race. He's endorsing Gary Black. What do you think that says about where Republicans in Georgia are right now, Patricia? Well, you know, it says they're just really scrambled. I was surprised by that as well, really mostly because we really thought of Doug Collins as having that most pro-Trump lane in the Kelly Loeffler contest. Kelly Loeffler was also pro-Trump, but there's a spectrum of pro-Trump and Trump likes you as much as you like him spectrum. And that was really Doug Collins. And so we know in the Senate race that Herschel Walker is Trump's guy. And um, for Doug Collins to come in having been Trump's guy and now come in and put his weight behind Gary Black, to me, that was a real boost for Gary Black among those uh, Republican activists trying to figure out where to put their vote. Um, I don't know that it creates a groundswell for anybody, but it is just a tip toward Gary Black. We keep hearing his name come up as um, the Republican, uh, very well liked by activists, um, very well known statewide by activists, a little less so by most Georgians, but um, he's he's very well known, been on the scene a long time. And for Doug Collins to give him that kind of pro-Trump boost. It also can give activists um, confidence that this is not some rhino out there that they can't trust. I think um, it. I, I think that was a, a good pickup for Gary Black. Yeah. You know, it, it, to me, it's the message that, hey, this is not going to be a walk in the park for Herschel Walker, you know, that that his rivals won't just capitulate. They're not just going to say, oh, there he is. There's the, the legends getting in the race. Everyone knows his name. He's got Trump's backing. You know, we'll, we'll just run a quieter, respectful campaign and then and then move out of the way. Nope, they're not doing that at all. And Gary Black made that very, very clear. And it wasn't just Doug Collins who endorsed um, Governor, former Governor Nathan Deal was there. He endorsed a few weeks ago, but he was there in person to talk about why he endorsed his old friend Gary Black. He talked about his deep roots in Georgia's agriculture and his accomplishments as the agriculture commissioner for the last decade or so. Um, and Andrew Clyde, who is Doug Collins's successor in in Congress, also he phoned in from um, from from Washington to endorse. Um, and we also heard from Gary Black himself. He gave a very fiery speech. I know absolute certain my, this place is not purple. This place is not blue. And by the time we finish the we complete this campaign. I will breathe the blood, this blood red again. We will breathe oxygen into the bloodstream yes. of Georgians so that we'll be brilliantly red ever, ever, ever more. That's what we must do. Georgia is not purple. Georgia is not blue. That is a campaign mantra that we hear over and over again from Republicans after Georgia did indeed flip, flip blue in the presidential race, narrowly flip blue, but at least... Democrats won for the first time since 1992 and won statewide office for the first time since 06 in the Senate races. Uh, and Gary Black, you know, one of the knocks on Gary Black is that he's not this inspirational, motivating figure like 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 people think Herschel Walker could be. Uh, he's trying to change that with with invective like that. Yeah. And there is an appetite on the right for fight, if I can just make it all rhyme. And um, I think that's what Gary Black is delivering. And you don't hear that from anybody else in that Senate race. Latham Sadler is keeping a very traditional um, 
I don't, they're all professional, but you know, very professional, traditional demeanor. Um, Calvin King has been going around the state and when he's speaking, there's a lot of policy involved in what he talks about, but Gary Black is really the one serving up the red meat, um, to any extent. And he really, um, is going at it hard. And it, it, that almost felt like a Howard Dean. I was waiting for a scream to come at the end of the, (laughs) of the, But he didn't deliver it. I think he might before the end of this campaign. Um, but I also think that really the fire that Gary Black is still bringing and the endorsements he's bringing show that these guys are um, not only they're not giving up. I think everyone's looking to see if Herschel's going to go the distance in this. And so for people to get in early with Gary Black, um, I think they just feel like this race is not remotely over. And I do wonder how Donald Trump will process that information once once it reaches him. Yeah. And then again, none of these none of these three Republicans are saying even uh, nary a crossword about Donald Trump, right? They, they know that exactly. they can't knock tr- Trump's decision. Uh, they're all they're all co- cozying up to his agenda as well. Um, we, we, we obviously just mentioned that Trump endorsed Herschel Walker, but we haven't heard much from Herschel Walker at all since he got in the race. Um, he had a, his first event, you could say, was a closed door fundraiser that we got leaked leaks about um, where he talked about Trump's endorsement should be coming soon while well, it's happened. Um, and he talked a little bit, a little bit about, uh, from what we hear, his campaign strategy, but not much. Um, there were some big names there. Ralph Reed was there. Some state lawmakers were there. Some veteran GOP attorneys were there, um, but very small. Um, no big event planned as of this taping that we know about. Uh, I expect Herschel Walker to hit the trail probably by the sometime by the end of September. But you know, it's an unconventional campaign and one in which his first big interview was with. Fox News. He went on Sean Hannity's show. Let's hear what he said a little bit, a little bit about his policy positions. You know, when you start talking about education, why is there not one education or education for everyone? Instead of having two, three education, why don't you have one where everyone go to get a good education? And I think that's what's so important. That's what we got to have people to fight for, for responsibility. So he's talking about education. We're not sure what exactly the education policy position will be. But we're not sure where many of his policy positions will be. And it was a striking moment. And we were talking about it a little bit before we went on air. But uh, I did a, every so often, we kind of do candidate roundups where we just get their, all the candidate stances on major developments uh, just to get them on the record. And we had a major development this past week with the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision refusing to block a, uh, a, a Texas anti-abortion law. So I went and got all the candidates to chime in. But only one of them... Uh, Herschel Walker, his his aide said, uh, "We're not, you know, we're no comment right now. We're not ready to speak on that yet." And that just gives a glimpse of the approach he's taking—a very, a very under the radar, I guess, very cautious. I don't know how to best put it, but um, you know, th- th- that's a position that the other three Republicans just pounced on. Right? I hate to use the word pounce, but they seized on it. They criticized uh, Raphael Warnock for opposing that Supreme Court decision. And they said that essentially that, that they would champion anti-abortion laws if they were elected to the U.S. Senate. Um, Herschel Walker, for now at least, as of this taping, no comment. Yeah. And that was really, really unusual because the question of abortion on the Republican side in a Republican primary is usually not something that they have to do a lot of any more deep thinking on. They usually arrive to the Republican primary with their opinion on abortion very well formed. 
And for a lot of them, it's the reason they get into the race. Um, but Herschel Walker and his opening video and his opening fundraising pitch was almost totally nonpartisan and said, politicians try and divide us by red and blue, by Democrat, Republican, and that's all garbage. And so um, when I went to look to see what he was going to say about uh, the decision on abortion. He re- he had literally nothing to say, and we know this campaign still needs to get the nuts and bolts of just a of just starting up a campaign, get kind of their legs underneath them. But that is an uh, that is something that should be one of the first nuts and bolts taken care of. And I we still don't know where Herschel Walker is on lots of issues. And abortion is the one uh, we're really going to be watching for now carefully because he didn't articulate it uh, when there was a moment when he could have. Yeah, again, that's one of the big, uh, one of the many questions about Herschel Walker's candidacy Um, as as someone who hasn't lived in the state. um, He's just now recently registered to vote in Georgia and and someone who's never run for public office, which is again, you know, that is not unusual in Republican politics in particular to have outsiders run. Um, but we don't know where he stands because he has no public record on so many of these issues. Now, Patricia, before we we jet for uh, for the long Labor Day holiday weekend, you're in Brunswick. You've been traveling around the state as part of your your Georgia political tour. You've gone to what, like 47 different counties now um, in the last few weeks, and uh, you're down in Brunswick to write about well, a couple of things: the pandemic and, and climate change. Yeah, well, I really did come down to write about climate change um, because the 100 miles of South Georgia coast um, really is already being impacted by sea level rise. There is um, just routine flooding in people's homes in Brunswick. On St. Simons, they're really dealing with um, higher tides, higher storm surges, um, erosion. Uh, they're having to reinforce the beaches. And there is a there are a number of um, small groups, large groups, all working to help and defend the shoreline. It's crucial to tourism. It's crucial to the businesses down here. And um, people come here for the beautiful pristine beaches. And those beaches are very much in peril and people's homes are in peril. And so I came down to find out about that. And at the same time, I found a different crisis that is so obviously emergent. And um, that is the COVID crisis. And I asked, I was reaching out to a number of uh, county commissioners and they said, yes, we're aware of climate change. We're working on climate change. Um, there is no debate down here among Republicans. Is there climate change? Yes, there is. But they're like, listen, we have got COVID going on here and it is scary. And I said, well, is it as bad as it was last spring at the height, at the worst of it? And they said it is twice as bad. Um, and they are really, <clears throat> excuse me, at their wits end. They don't really know what to do um, or how to get people vaccinated. But they did say, you know, if there's any silver lining, it seems to have produced a bit of a panic in Glen County and vaccin- vaccination numbers have gone up um, pretty significantly as people have seen um, their own neighbors dying. Schools are closed. Businesses are closed. Um, government uh, buildings are closed. In Atlanta, you just don't feel that right now. Um, and in, But in, in Brunswick, Glen County, you certainly do. Huh. Well, you can, you can read Patricia's column on AJC.com and in the Sunday Dead Tree edition. While Patricia's down on the coast, Jay and I separately are heading the other direction. We're heading up to Charlotte for the Georgia-Clemson game. And and Jay, as a veteran sports broadcaster reporter as well, uh, what's your uh, give us your predictions for the big game. 
Uh, first, I want to know uh, Patricia's uh, prediction for the game on Saturday. <laughs> I think Vanderbilt is going to win. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, that adorable little football team in Nashville. <laughs> so, to, to remind I'll be honest, you, I haven't even looked who Vanderbilt SEC. is. But my, my research has not gotten around to the Vanderbilt football schedule for Saturday because this is the one and only game. Uh, and, and the biggest home, the biggest opener the dogs have had since the 60s, the first time they played a top five team. <laughs> Um, since they faced Alabama in the 60s and lost all those three. This time, though, the first top five matchup ever for Georgia uh, to open the season. And, you know, that's the great part about college football, right, is you have no idea what kind of team you're going to have until they start the season. Georgia's big question marks, the secondary. They've lost uh, Tyke Smith to an injury, one of their big transfers, and their wide receivers since Eric Gilbert's status is unclear. Uh, Washington's status is injured. Obviously, George Pickens is not going to be there, but, man, they've got the great running game, and they've got JT Daniels ready to take off. Clemson's great. COVID's going to play an issue here um, yep. because Georgia's head athletic trainer, Ron Corson, has got the COVID. He's been in contact with everybody on the team, and Clemson's uh, top defensive tackle, Tyler Davis, may have the COVID. They have a receiver who says he's not going to be able to play, uh, but I can't wait. I can't wait either. And as and as momentous as this game is, the, the the other kind of beauty of it is, if either team loses, it does not ruin their their whole season. No, you know, right? Like other other seasons, one loss early on, oh, it's, you know, it's it's pretty much a death knell for playoff hopes. But if Georgia loses or if Clemson loses, they both have a still have a shot. Not as you know, not as not as wide open, but it's still have a shot at college football playoffs. Only thing, only the only way they might eliminate themselves is they could just get their doors blown off. But yeah. uh, besides that, which I know, which nobody expects to happen, uh, you'll lose your mulligan here, but you'll still be in the race. There you go. Well, we woke Patricia back up after that football <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is the podcast still going? <laughs> <laughs> folks, have, have a great, terrific holiday and safe holiday weekend. Uh, get Get vaccinated, take safety precautions, and be safe out there. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with the Vanderbilt East Tennessee analysis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.